Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. All right, so what I'd like to think about together this morning is what, what is the relationship between Sukkot with the holidays that immediately precede it, with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Right? Because it, it, it's clear that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are connected. There's lots of names, lots of words to put those two holidays in relationship to one another. They're the Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the 10 days of repentance, the Yamim Noraim, the high holy days. But, but how does Sukkot fit in? Uh, you know, I think in, in, in the experience of most Jews, Sukkot kind of feels like an afterthought. It's totally disconnected from the themes and importance of the days that precede it. But what if Sukkot wasn't just a, a standalone holiday that you had to prove to your public school teacher was a, a real day that you could actually miss of school? Um, but what if instead um, it was an extension of the story being told on the Yamim Noraim. Okay, so I have um, a somewhat far out theory that connects all three of these holidays within the framework of one story. Um, and I admit, this is, this is a bit of a uh, Miss Frizzle, get on the magic school bus. This is out there, so feel free to leave it if you don't like it. Uh, but I, I'd like to propose that the story that connects these three holidays is one we're about to read in about a week's time. Uh, the story that perhaps we're experientially reenacting prior to our ritual reading of the story, it's the story of the Garden of Eden. Okay, here we go. Uh, buckle up. As I shared a couple of weeks ago, Rosh Hashanah is described in our liturgy as Hayom Harat Olam, the birthday of the world. And the rabbis specifically say that it's the first of Tishrei. That's the day in which Adam and Eve were created, making Rosh Hashanah a sort of uh, re-arrival into the world, or, or more specifically, a re-entry into the Garden of Eden. And it's not just a commemoration, right? It's a present-day reenactment of this moment. So it's helpful here to imagine ourselves as experiencing Rosh Hashanah as Adam and Eve, right? re-entering the Garden of Eden, re-arriving into the world. And you know, as we know, li life in the garden is going well um, until the allure of one tree is just too much to resist. And despite God's instructions to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Eitz hada'at tovera, Adam and Eve, they choose differently. And in eating this fruit, their realities are radically transformed. They become newly aware to two new features of life, features that are now defining ones of the human experience. Feature number one is morality, right? The difference between good and bad and the freedom to choose between the two. And number two is mortality. Right? For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Ki afar afar tashuv. The awakening to morality and mortality, that's the experience of Yom Kippur. 
a day of desperately trying to be sealed into the book of life through the merits of our actions, a day of, of heightened awareness of our mortality and an emphasis on living morally. All right, so Rosh Hashanah, if Rosh Hashanah is being born, reborn into the garden, and Yom Kippur is reenacting the eating of the fruit, what is Sukkot? Sukkot is leaving the garden. But here's where the reenactment takes a curious turn. In the context of Genesis, leaving the garden appears as a punishment. It, it, it's, it's an event marked by, by trauma, uncertainty, and disappointment. But on Sukkot, we return to this moment with the intention of writing a different ending. It's almost as if we go back to the garden on Sukkot to tell Adam and Eve, it, it turned out all right. The world outside the garden that you imagined isn't as terrible as you thought it would be. In fact, existing outside the garden, that's exactly what makes life beautiful and precious and, and worthy of our gratitude. So Sukkot, through its rituals and symbols, is a response to the anxieties raised by leaving the garden. And it's a, it's a corrective, it's a tikkun to that traumatic beginning of our collective story. All right, so let's revisit a couple key moments in, in the Garden of Eden story and in the Sukkot story and uh, try to break down this claim. Number one, when the first humans leave the garden, God says to them, cursed be the ground because of you. By toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles shall it sprout for you. Right, so gone is the, is the effortless sustenance of Eden. Only by the sweat of our brow will we get our bread. We leave the Garden of Eden with a deep anxiety over how we'll get our food. Will the earth support our new agricultural lifestyle, or is the earth cursed? Will we toil without merit, thorns and thistles growing in the place of life-sustaining food? Will God sabotage our efforts? Enter Sukkot, the reenactment of leaving the garden that instead of mirroring the anxieties of that moment, respond to them. Sukkot is Chag Ha'asif, the fall harvest festival. It's the moment in the agricultural cycle when months of hard work of sowing, tending, and reaping come to fruition. It's the moment of peak agricultural abundance. The storehouses are filled with grain, the grapes and figs freshly harvested. But how did we get so fortunate? One is meant to feel on Sukkot. Yes, it was by the sweat of our brow that these crops grew, but Sukkot celebrates the agricultural partnership between us and God. In the explanation of Sukkot in Dvarim, we read, you'll hold the festival for God for seven days, for God will bless all your crops and all of your undertakings, and you'll have nothing but joy. Ve'ayita ach sameach. So the punishment of leaving Eden was agricultural futility 
the experience of Sukkot is joyous agricultural abundance with gratitude to God and, and God's green thumb. That's number one. Number two, what happens when Adam and Eve leave home? What happens when they leave the Garden of Eden? The, the, the very next story that the Torah offers is a tragic one. It's the tale of Cain and Abel, right? A story that's, that's defined by discontent and, and ultimately by murder. The punishment for Cain's deed is perpetual wandering. Na v'nod The text says that Cain is banished from the soil, must avoid God's presence, and is condemned to ceaseless wandering where anyone who meets him could kill him. This is the existential anxiety that consumes the first family. And this is the anxiety that Sukkot, in turn, responds to. Sukkot is also a story of wandering. We're on our way to Israel, to a more permanent home, but, but the wilderness, it's a place of great danger. But rather than the state of wandering being one of estrangement with God, like it was for Cain, it's the opposite. God protects us in our wandering from the elements, from enemies, from, from dehydration and starvation. We dwell in booths that shield us from the harsh elements. We're accompanied by Anane Kavod, these uh, clouds of divine presence that protect us. So in response to the anxiety of Adam, Eve, and Cain's experience of displacement, the holiday of Sukkot becomes a celebration of wandering. It becomes a reassurance that we're accompanied by God everywhere we go. So number one, the agricultural abundance in response to the anxiety over where will our food come from? Will, will the earth produce food? Number two is the rewrite of what it feels like to be wandering, not a punishment, not a curse, not the absence of God, but the wandering in the wilderness is Dafka is the presence of God, it's protection from God. Number three, there are two fruits in the Torah whose identities are mysterious according to the plain text, leaving the reader wondering what kind of fruit is being described. All right, so let's go in reverse order. Leviticus 23.40, we read this today, or I mean, Neil read it today. Uh, this is the verse that gives the commandment to assemble the four species on Sukkot. It says, lachem, Take for yourselves, pre eats hadar, the fruit of the hadar tree. What's a hadar tree? Hadar means beautiful, but that's, that's not really a fruit name, the beautiful tree. Now, there's wide consensus, and the rabbis in the Talmud agree that this passage is referring to the etrog. But it, it, it's interesting that the Torah doesn't say that explicitly. It instead says the beautiful fruit. All right, that's mysterious fruit number one. Number two, what kind of tree did Adam and Eve eat from? <laughs> Everyone is fighting the urge to say apple, right? So it, the Torah says, Eitz hada'at tovera. 
right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Again, not such a helpful description to a botanist. You, you, you can't identify a tree based on that description. Right? So there's lots of theories out there, uh, but there is a midrash where four different opinions are offered for what kind of fruit grew on the tree of knowledge. The options are figs, grapes, wheat. Somehow the rabbis thought that that was a kind of tree. Um, and then the fourth According to Rabbi Abba of Akko in Genesis Rabbah, it was an etrog. Okay, the fruit on the tree of knowledge of good and evil, according to this one opinion, was an etrog. So let's just hold that possibility for a moment. The fruit that hurled Adam and Eve from the garden is the very fruit that we exalt, we uplift, we hold close to our hearts on Sukkot. The fruit that was once the source of our punishment, our exile, is now the beautiful fruit. It's become Eitz Prihadar. So our holiday renames this fruit as a way of saying, yeah, there's anxiety and uncertainty in leaving the garden, but life outside the garden, it's beautiful. It's not what Adam and Eve feared it would be. It's abundant. It's uncertain, but we're not alone. God didn't stay in the garden either. God accompanies us in our wandering, in our tending, in our celebration. And that's why we can call Sukkot Zman Simchatenu, the time of our joy. Because we learn and relearn each year that leaving the garden while once a trauma became the source of our blessings. Sukkot takes us back to the garden, not to try to get back in, but to be able to whisper into Adam and Eve's ears, into each other's ears. You can rejoice in your festivals. Hey everybody, Randy Sklar here. I'm an eCar member. And Jason Sklar here. I'm an eCar fan. Yeah, and we uh, love eCar so much. We love the message that eCar uh, delivers in their many podcasts. And we feel like most people feel there aren't a lot of podcasts in this world. I think there are only two or three. There's only a couple. So what we'd like you to do is donate to eCar at ecar-la.org uh, so that they can do more podcasts and more cool things because Lord knows the world needs more podcasts. Yep.